survive and thrive. This is a podcast that brings you stories and perspectives on how leaders and organizations can not only transform to survive, but thrive in change. I'm your host and co-founder of Consinity, Jennifer Ayers. This season, my partners and I will walk you through what we're calling the eight tenants to drive meaningful and impactful and sustainable change in an organization. We will explore each of these tenants at a high level over eight weeks, and then we'll take a deeper dive into each one to really understand why it's important and how to put some of these principles into practice. We'll share some of our own personal experiences from the hundreds of clients we've helped along our journeys, and we'll invite other professionals to join us to share their stories on what has worked, what hasn't worked, and what perspectives they can offer on the relevance of these tenants. Just as a quick reminder, the eight tenants are the case for change, knowing your audience, message matters, bracing for the impact, charting the course, readiness metrics, making it stick, recognize, reward, and repeat. And for today, we are going to be focusing on the seventh tenant, making it stick. This topic explores how to create an organization adapted for change. And if there's any time, this is really the time to think very seriously about putting the time and energy into creating a change-adapted organization, an organization that can stay resilient. We certainly have seen a lot of turbulence out of the pandemic. And if anything, it should remind us that change is constant. So for today's discussion, I'm really excited to have one of my great mentors, Kelly Scaff, with us today. Kelly is someone that I've had the privilege to work with over a number of years during my time at Accenture. And Kelly is someone that I have just always appreciated going to when I feel like I'm stuck and I need to figure out a way forward. Kelly always has brought some great insights and ideas on helping me get unstuck. Kelly, I'm so happy to have you today. You bring a deep expertise in business transformation. You have done a lot of work from finance process design and system integrations to moving uh, resources onshore and offshore, setting up shared service models, building out business transformation offices. And I'm just so excited that you're here to talk about this subject that I think is really important for organizations to consider when it, when they think about building a change-capable organization. So would you mind just sharing with our audience a little bit more background about yourself? Absolutely, Jen. And just to Echo, I am thrilled to be here today and thrilled with this series that you and Consinity have put together. I'm thrilled to be part of the Consinity family and to be part of today's um, discussion. The quick background on me, um, as you mentioned, my experience in consulting and how you and I met back in the day at, at Accenture, I would say that my overall passion area across the course of my career has been around solution development. And of course, the more complicated and the more messy the solution is, the more excited I get about it. I really enjoy creating structure from chaos and turning good ideas into tactical plans. That's my bailiwick. I like to solve to solve problems and solve puzzles. My career started in consulting a number of years ago. I spent 15 years in big consulting and while there did a lot of work in the high tech industry. 
focusing on big, global, complex um, systems integration projects across a number of different business processes. And these kinds of big systems integration projects were the type that were global, impacting the whole employee base, like really changing how individuals did their work every day. So very, very change impactful, very broad, very complicated. My kind of second stage of my career, when I I left consulting and went into industry, I worked in the med tech industry for uh, six or seven years, and I worked in shared services, having spent a good deal of time working in shared services while at Accenture. And in the space there, my focus was more about driving organizational change, restructuring to create the shared services organization itself and transitioning work and moving work around both how it's performed as well as who's doing it and where in the world they're doing it. The third phase of my career has been working independently as a consultant for a number of organizations, helping them build business transformation offices, building groups within their company that are focused on driving change and sustaining change within those organizations. There's a reason why a lot of big projects or big programs get housed under a program management structure or a a PMO, in part because of complex stakeholder management, being able to provide transparency, streamlining responsibilities, etc. And it shouldn't be a big surprise that that launches into this concept of creating these PMOs or these business transformation offices within a broader company to manage a more streamlined way of managing and sustaining change. So I've been helping a number of companies create these business transformation offices and really focusing on change as a competency within the company. Wonderful. And just, I was so thrilled that you said you love big, hairy problems. (laughs) The messier the problem, the better. And and thinking about solutions around that, it reinforces why I said I always come to you when I have my big, scary problems. So for all you listeners out there, if you have a big, scary problem, Kelly's a go-to gal. So. Anyway, great observation, great point, just in terms of the last um, the last point there around building change in an organization. So just to kind of get started in our dialogue here, if I, you ha- you have such a great, rich experience from not only supporting clients through their journey through various transformations, but you also have been, quote unquote, on the inside. So I guess you've had to walk the walk, you could say. So with these varied experiences, what are your general observations about leading an organization through change? And maybe could you describe an experience where it was positive or maybe an experience where it wasn't so positive and why? Sure. My experience comes from the high-tech world. And in the high-tech world, things are very fast-paced. Change is sort of constant. In fact, one of the companies I used to work for, people would joke that Hey, it's been two years. It's like time for another reorg. And we used to, you know, say it a little tongue in cheek, but it was a, a really a head nod to the frequency with which people needed to be flexible and responsive to change within that, that space. My experience in navigating change initiatives and change organizations is largely from the office perspective, not from the shop floor. So not from the manufacturing space itself and producing product, but more within the corporate offices and within the global functions or, or business units. One of the observations that I've seen over time is just 
and different stories of where these competencies for change, if you're going to centralize this competency, where that happens. I worked for one company for quite a long period of time. It was a a high-tech company and they created an internal function. It was almost an internal consulting organization that was, they hired skills in, they were lean business process experts, they were process improvement experts, and their job was to go out into the business and help improve things and to drive change to make things more efficient, more less frustrating, et cetera, and to drive value. Um, the challenge with that group, though, was it wasn't housed within a particular business or a particular function. It was staffed completely outside of those functions that it was intending to help. So one of the challenges there with having it housed outside was that that group struggled, even though they were very skilled, very competent. They struggled a lot with getting traction and with being able to influence because they were, I'll say, quote unquote, outsiders to the organizations that they were attempting to drive change. So this the need for, for driving change in, in this example is not just having people who know what they're doing and are, are competent, but also having the proper sponsorship and the proper uh, what's that ex- that expression from this the cell phone company? Like, can you hear me now? Like, do you have my back? If I'm going forward and I'm trying to drive change, that there's someone who's going to support me in my recommendations and my efforts to to drive it. Other companies that I've worked for have housed it in other organizations. Shared services is a big one. I've seen these business transformation offices held within a shared services organization in part because it. It tends to be one of the few organizations that's global inside the company where it touches a particular process, either end-to-end or at least across the globe, and tends to drive a lot of process change. Even in the point where you're creating the shared services organization, you're driving business change in, in that effort. Seeing it inside shared services, I've seen it be super successful. And I've also seen a fair share of challenges in that space as well. Oftentimes, part of the let's say, vision or strategy for creating a shared services organization from the get-go is to drive cost savings and to fuel the ability to streamline and to centralize things in in certain locations in order to do a cost takeout play. And when you are in a cost takeout play, if you're adding staff into your organization for the purposes of managing change, driving change, et cetera, there's always going to be a laser focused on where's the value And am I getting my value back out for the investment that I put in? This organization is supposed to reduce my cost, not increase my cost. So there's always this natural rub between am I achieving the ultimate value story that I said I would achieve in establishing this change management and change initiative focused competency. The other place that I've seen these central program management, project management, lean organizations come up is in the manufacturing space, in the supply chain space, where the concept of Lean Six Sigma and Lean Business Process is native to that group. In general, a lot of companies have a a strong capability with Lean Six Sigma in, in those teams. And from that group, it then creeps out because it is very, very valuable that it does extend into other groups as well. In my experience, there's been seeing this change competency develop in different ways with different levels of maturity and for different objectives and purposes across a variety of companies, each struggling with, I think, a similar set of hurdles that they need to to climb. One is competency and skills. Do you have the capability to drive the change? 
Two is the sponsorship behind it. Do you have the leadership behind you to own the change and help enforce the recommendations that you're making? And I see the third piece is, and, and what really needs to be done well, is simply to communicate. It seems very simple, but raising awareness to what are you doing? Why are you doing it? So that people are aware and informed and, and part of the journey rather than feeling that they were on the tail end and you're just telling them what they need to do versus bringing them along for the ride. I love it. And it, it leads me to my next question. All those insights are so important. With these different experiences that you've had, is there a scenario in which you really felt the organization embraced the value of change competencies in their everyday work? And what did that look like? How did you get there? In my experience, Jen, having been to a number of different companies and organizations, if you ask people in the company about change management, you're working on something and, and how do you handle change management in, in your company? Most often the responses that I get are, oh yeah, we really care about change management, but a lot of companies will say, we're not very good at it. And while that might be true, I think that there are certainly large initiatives or large programs that companies have done where you would look back or employees would look back and say, they did a really great job with change management. When they did that, they did a really wonderful job with change management. And you know, what does it look like when you've done a really good job in hindsight? It has a few key ingredients. One, I'll call it toppling the ivory tower. One of them is about leveraging your leadership and really having very visible leaders as part of the change. It kind of goes back to my earlier point about sponsorship, but also having those visible leaders and really leveraging them to communicate your messages with you. There's this feeling that it creates that we're all in this together. It's all part of one team and it's impacting all of us. Part of what good looks like is just bringing in that senior leadership. And I've seen everything from leadership lunches to having the leaders, you know, purposefully and intentionally walking around the building and meeting people and greeting people and just being more visible, I'd say, is is one thing. The other thing about goodness is, especially on some of these really complicated changes where if you envision it has lots of moving parts, lots of different teams involved, lots of geographies involved, et cetera, is this concept of cross-communication and not just communicating, but communicating ahead of time and having a forum where you are telling people or telling these other groups, this is what we're doing and here's why we're doing it. And what do you think about that? And, and being open and flexible to the feedback that you get and responsive to it. Because at the end of the day, it's only going to make the journey smoother if you're hearing that feedback up front rather than hearing it at the time that you're trying to deploy the change. It's better to be prepared than to be unprepared. And so having this cross-team or cross-program or cross-department or having this cross-communication, I think, is something that marks success in driving successful, sustaining change. And then the third piece I put in there, and I mentioned it earlier, was just frequent communication. It's not just who's communicating it and how it's communicating and who you're communicating to, but how frequently you're doing it and making sure that the lines of communication are open and that there's a variety of them. Not everyone likes to read email. Some people would prefer having an in-person town hall. Some people would prefer message boards or webcasts or whatever, but hitting, hitting messages multiple times across multiple groups in multiple ways and frequently. That's great. Thank you so much. And 
uh, you know, just great practical thoughts too that are not necessarily obvious to folks when they're navigating change and thinking about how to create a change capable organization. You spoke about this rub that occurs, especially maybe in the case of standing up a change management function within a shared services organization where you're trying to balance between additional headcount, perhaps, and realizing the value uh, that a change management function can bring. Can organizations benefit from having an internal change function, do you think? I think they can. And when we talk about change and a change function, I even myself have to step back and caution myself into pigeonholing the thinking of change management as that's the communication arm. Like that's the communication and, and marketing and feel good arm, but it's more than and that. training. Everybody was just, oh, right. it's just it's training, training right. and communication. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And it's much more than that. Um, it's also the strategy behind what are you doing? Why are you doing it? Is it the right thing to do? Who's impacted by it? Et cetera. So one of the the things I mentioned earlier and something that I've been working on a lot over the last several years is these uh, organizations called business transformation organizations or BTOs, and they may be called different things in different places, but they're these centralized pockets of individuals that are focused on managing a portfolio of change initiatives that are going on at a particular company. It may be on a smaller scale. It may be all the change initiatives going on within a particular organization within a company. But I've also seen it and seen it successful when it's done global and and company-wide. And those business transformation organizations, in my mind, have really kind of four sets of key capabilities that they would be responsible for, and all of which relate to successfully and sustainably driving change. You know, one is portfolio management. And that's quite simply, what is the body of change that we're trying to drive? What are all of these initiatives that we have in front of us that we would like to go do? And usually the appetite of what you'd like to go do always exceeds the depth of your pocketbooks for what you can afford to go do. But what is that portfolio? The second capability would be once you decide what you would work on, how do you manage that? And how do you execute it? And is that execution well executed and reliable and transparent? Some elements of good project management come into play in terms of driving change. Now, change management itself and communications may be a work stream within that project, but the whole reason that that particular initiative exists is because it's bringing about change. The third capability area would be capacity management. And this may tie back to your broader question about the the rub, Um, because capacity, having capacity, resource capacity costs money. People themselves are not free. And then the fourth piece would be financial management, which is quite simply just tracking what did you think you would spend on a particular change initiative that you worked on and what did you actually spend? So if I think about the business transformation office, those are four high-level capability areas that would be resident within these change groups. My historical perspective of some of these rubs within these organizations about really are they perceived as successful or not successful often comes down to how well described was their value story to begin with and how clear was their service catalog of what they were intending to provide? Meaning, what did they say they were going to do? What services did they say they were going to, going to give? Where were the bookends of when, when it pertained to their organization and when it didn't? And then what was the expectation? Was it a play on driving cost savings in the company and that's why we're driving a change? Is it about 
driving growth and driving expansion in the company? Is that the change that we're trying to help solve for? Is it about, oh my goodness, we have execution mess and we're just trying to get our arms around things and become more predictable and and more reliable in terms of driving change and make a better employee experience. It could be any of those things. But when you create these organizations, you have to be able to describe, this is why we're going down this path. This is what we hope to accomplish in doing it. Make sure that you have people on board that are sponsoring that as a value story and they understand what to expect as a result of it and what you'll be providing. And then it's about developing those four capability areas that I mentioned. That is fantastic. And hearing some of your your points and your observations lends me to my next question. It was triggered by what you talked about articulating your value. Can you share an example perhaps of where you might have been involved in in the setting up of a business transformation office or or something other that required a change management function and describe a little bit of the sort of story or narrative or or remit or intended value sure the two examples that i'm that i'm thinking of in my head in one of those examples the value story itself was around providing a centralized capability to create better execution meaning There was a lot of change initiatives going on, but there was no real rhyme or reason as to why certain things were getting approved and what the threshold was for getting them approved and and what the expectations were coming out. So why were certain things prioritized and others were not? And then as things would get executed, there wasn't good transparency as to where was it? Are they where they said they would be? Have they spent what they said they would spend? And ultimately, the last final question is, when it was done, did we get the return that we wanted? as a result of having invested in that particular initiative. So part of the value of setting up this business transformation office was to create the rigor and the governance around managing these big spend programs within the company so that there was a centralized, I'll call it a funnel, but a centralized funnel with a standard methodology for this is how we think about our strategic initiatives. This is the template that you need to be, you need to be thinking about why you're going to consume money from the company to go do this particular initiative, you need to think about your expected benefits going in before you even get started. And so there are certain thresholds and milestones that needed to be covered off on before investments would get approved. And then throughout the life cycle of that particular project initiative, it would also go through certain gates and certain thresholds that it would need to meet. And if it was late or delayed, or overspending, or things because businesses don't stand still while you're working on these complex initiatives. The reason that you started the initiative in the first place may no longer hold true, or it may have become so complicated that if you were asking yourself back again and could rewind the clock, you may never have approved moving it forward. So one of the big value stories around setting up this transformation office was simply governance based creating this approach and methodology for reviewing, approving, and maintaining that portfolio across the company. Then added on to that becomes the piece that oftentimes companies aren't as good at, which is measuring the benefits afterward and reporting on the benefits afterwards. This is how much we plan to spend. This is how much we actually spend. And for that spend, here's the value that we delivered. And not necessarily value in terms of we saved so much money, but also value in terms of we've implemented this great tool. And as a result of it, you know, this 
new product was able to launch earlier than planned, or we are now entering this market that we didn't have expectations that we could enter into before. Um, so the value story, it, like I said before, it's not always about cost. It can be about, about other things as, as well. So that particular company that I'm thinking of, their value story for setting up this organization was around governance. The other company that I was thinking of was also all of what I just said, all about governance, but also about execution. And so this also included staffing, you know, on staff project managers, not only to help with the decision making and the business case creation, et cetera, and the planning um, components, but also once you had approved it to be executed, that you would have people on board with project management skills who could see it through to the end and execute it. When I mentioned that rub earlier, then it gets a little trickier when you're hiring more people on staff because then it raised the very good question of now that we have a team of X number of people and it's costing this much, this is now a, a mini department. Are you generating the savings that justifies your existence as an organization? That particular ex- example that I was referring to was related to a, a scenario where you were staffing project managers within the BTO. Interesting. Wow. That's awesome. We kind of touched on this a little bit because you were talking about your observations on where this change management capability sometimes sits in an organization, whether it's been in shared services or a lot of times I've seen it kind of come out of IT just by the nature of some of the IT work that is continually being deployed into organizations. Sometimes it's in a continuous improvement function or a PMO function, or as you said, a business transformation office, etc. What has been your experience with these different internal models and any insights on whether you think one place is better than another place, or maybe it's just having the right ingredients, no matter where it lands, as you, you know, sort of talked about earlier with, you know, making sure you have visibility across the enterprise, so to speak. First and foremost, regardless of where in the organization it sits, is having the, the sponsorship behind it. So even if it sits in in marketing, but marketing has sponsorship and and whoever is funding it and sponsoring it in marketing has the, the ears and the, the sway to support it and drive it, then great. I've seen them be successful, like you said. A lot of times, those four capabilities I spoke about, portfolio management, project management, capacity management, and financial management, they're part of the wheelhouse of IT because a lot of what they are running on a regular basis is projects and really big complex technology programs that impact a broad section of employees. Having it be in an, in an IT organization could be a natural place. The trick is to have it in a place where it gets good sponsorship. It has the ability to influence and the ability to actually drive that change. It has the backing of the broader organization and that it's going to provide care and feeding for the whole organization and not its own organization. One of the reasons why I think shared services is a great place to put the BTO organization is because by default, even in its name, a shared services organization is a services organization. And its reason for being is to provide a service back to the business community. And if change management and change initiatives driving change initiatives is viewed as a service provided to the company, it somewhat naturally sits in the service catalog of a shared services organization as custodians of the 
success and driving success for all of their business partners internally, not just themselves. So shared services in my mind is an optimal place to put it. But as long as it has sponsorship, backing, it can influence and it can provide care and feeding for a global employee base, it largely doesn't matter. That's great. Wow. I could go on and on about this subject for hours and we might have to have you back sometime in the future so I can really pick your brain. Anyway, my next question, which I love to ask every listener, uh, every uh, guest that comes on here for our listeners is, what observations can you share to encourage businesses not only to survive, but thrive and change? I think about survive versus thrive, the comparison between them. And I, I think of surviving change as viewing it one initiative at a time. And like I said earlier, a lot of those people that I would talk to at companies, hey, they did a great job on change management on this initiative, but oof, they really missed the boat on this other one. Instead of thinking of it one initiative at a time independently, thriving by creating a capability that's sustainable, that you're thinking about it all the time, and it becomes the general way that you go about doing things, following a playbook, rather than reinventing the wheel every time you have a new project. Going down that path of setting up an organization that does set the methodology, sets the standards, and governs how changes get brought about and adopted at a company, there's a few watch-out points that I would highlight um, or call them lessons learned. One I hit on, which was around setting expectations around that value story and the service catalog. If you were to launch an organization but weren't clear about what you're doing and why you're doing it and what can be expected, chances are you'll have people who come back around and say, what, what is this? And you're just creating more work for me or you're just another cost center and you're, you're adding costs. So being clear upfront about where is the value, why are you doing it and what are you responsible for is hugely important. The second thing that I would caution against as well is saying yes to everything. Not all changes are, are ones that you should be doing. So going back to that point about governance and prioritizing and setting up a new business transformation office, you want to be successful and you want to have some wins and, and launch on the right foot. So I would recommend finding a quick win and documenting your successes and sharing them, whether that's a success story or marketing it in, in some way to get the word out about the value and reinforcing your value message. And then to be upfront when you don't have capacity to go after something because you certainly don't want to be the organization that's all about driving positive, sustainable change and then be so overburdened with so many things that you're working on that you can't do a good job on the things that you're trying to do. So be open and honest with what you have the capacity to take on and and what you don't. And then I would just say be flexible. As you're rolling these organizations out and you're rolling out this capability, you may find that there's a template that you created first or an approach that you created first or a recommendation that you made for how to go do something that was pretty close to the pin but could be better next time. And so to be flexible to change what you're driving and what you're doing to make what you're doing even better and to change yourself as you're evolving. That is fantastic and great advice to put out there on just being able to say no to certain things because you do want to prove that you can have some kind of, um, you need to, to demonstrate that value early on, especially when you're trying to encourage the organization to embrace this idea of building a change management capability. And often, 
there isn't that upfront investment. This is, you know, a lot of times it's sort of, it becomes a necessity by some poor experience. And then leaders are saying, well, we need this function, but we don't really know what that function looks like. So we're going to tap somebody on the shoulder who already has a day job to go figure it out. So that's really hard if you have a day job and now you're trying to prove out, you know, a business case for having a change capable function um, in an organization. So choosing something that is a bite that you can chew off and that you can tell the story and you can, re- you know, tell that story over and over again will give you some some traction for sure. And be upfront about what you can and cannot do. If I had a dime for every time I put together a project plan and scoped out the change management work and asked for how many resources were needed to drive that work, and how many times I didn't get half the resources that I asked for to do the work, but yet still was expected to complete the work that was for a team of 10 with a team of five. And then in hindsight, everybody's, oh, yeah, we really underclubbed on, on change management. It was a really bumpy go live. It was really difficult. You know, people are upset and, and like, well, yeah. And that's why we asked for the 10 people we asked for. Hindsight is always 2020. It seems to be a case where everyone values it. The change management, it's its definitely recognized as necessary, but oftentimes it gets unappreciated in the upfront steps during planning. Oh, I'm going to have to stop there because you are on my soapbox. <laughs> and, <laughs> and this podcast will go on for three more hours just on that, you know, issue alone that I've seen too many times as well. You and I both would have enough times to be multimillionaires and invest <laughs> it and make even more money. So well, this has been great. I, as I mentioned, I think we could talk about this for hours. And I just want to check is there anything that we haven't covered that comes to mind for you that we want to make sure we leave our listeners with? I think the only thing that we um, didn't talk about that I think isn't maybe another lesson learned for anyone who's launching a new one of these organizations from scratch um, is just this concept of, again, going back to understanding why you're doing it, but getting the word out and doing a roadshow. Someone a long time ago that I worked with um, introduced me to the concept of, of what I call a roadshow and what he called a roadshow. And that was kind of feet on the street, pounding the pavement, walking around with a couple slides or a couple key messages on your sleeve and talking to people about what you're intending to do and why you're intending to do it and to gather their input and their feedback up front. Because again, it, it goes back to just being prepared and to know what the sentiment is out there about what it is that you're trying to do. Love it. Awesome. Well, this has been a great, great conversation, Kelly. I thank you so much for taking the time sharing these extremely rich insights with our listeners. I think people will really get a lot of value out of what you've just shared on this interview today. So if folks wanted to get a hold of you and learn a little bit more about some of your experience, is there a place you would recommend? There's my email, kmscaff at gmail.com. Great. Awesome. Thank you again. You have just made my afternoon. So appreciate you taking the time. And thank you everyone for listening and joining this week's episode of our Survive and Thrive podcast. Remember at Consinity, we empower the conscious leader to realize positive and sustainable change. Until next time, don't just survive, thrive.